0: How about the weather, huh? In Florida, where I'm from, we have summer all year round. It's just in between 90 and 60, all year round. And here, we have four seasons in one day. (laughs) I'm still getting used to this South Dakota weather. And so many of you tell me, I say, oh, it's spring's here. And they say, oh, you just wait. (laughs) Well, good morning to you all. My name is Chance Sumner. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Bible Church. I serve with Jesse as a pastor here. I'm so thankful that you're here. It is a joy to be here with you this morning, to gather in the name of Jesus Christ and to lift up his his name corporately as a church and to testify of his grace. That's why we gather. We gather for no other reason but for Jesus Christ. And because he is so good to us, there is great benefit in following Jesus. And there is great benefit to being a part of this church. If you're looking for a church family, I'd love to welcome you here. If you have any questions, please come and talk to me or Pastor Jesse or one of the elders. We would love to talk to you about this church. And this morning, let's go ahead and open up to Philippians 2. We're finishing our study of Christ's exaltation. This is part three. I promise this is the final installment of this this topic. I pray that that through this through this passage and through this topic, that you've seen Christ in a new and fresh way. That's my prayer. My prayer is that you've both been taught and challenged in your walk with Christ. And this morning we're going to be continuing our study of the doctrine of Christ's exaltation. There's going to be a lot of doctrine this morning, as there was last week and the week before and the week before. We've been dealing with a very weighty passage. Philippians 2.6 six. through through verse 11, is a doctrinally rich passage. So it's important that we spend time understanding what it is that Paul is teaching here. We we shouldn't rush over the details, but dig down and understand what Paul is saying. And so I ask you to, to continue bearing with me, and also if you have any questions, if you have any doctrinal questions, I'm here to try to help you answer that question. I want you to feel comfortable coming and talking to me about anything. If there's something going on in your life, I'm here for you. I want to serve you. Jesse wants to serve you. The elders want to serve you. And I pray and hope that you see us as approachable and that you want to come and talk to us. So please do that. And young theologians, you as well. Sometimes children ask the best questions. And so young theologians, as you're writing your worship notes, if you have any questions, I would love to try to help you answer those questions. Let's go ahead and read our passage this morning. We're going to start in verse 9. That's not going to be the passage that we focus on. We're going to focus on verses 10 and 11. But to get some context, let's go ahead and begin in verse 9. Philippians 2, 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. We're going to be honing in on verses 10 and 11 as I've said. And I have two points. The first point, still tracing this notion of Christ's exaltation. The first point, write this. The result of Christ's exaltation. The result of Christ's exaltation. Beginning in verse 10, right at the beginning, you have this so that. I want you to see, see this. At Community Bible Church, the Bible, Bible is our middle name and we're, we're big on the Bible. I want you to see where in the scripture I'm getting this from. In Philippians 2.10 it says so that Do you see how Paul begins verse 10? So that is a statement of result. Paul is telling us in verse 10 the result of verse 9. This is a conjunction. It's linking the ideas. It's linking the idea found in verse 9 with the idea found in verse 10. And the idea found in verse 9 is God the Father's exaltation of Jesus. After Jesus died, because of his obedience, because of who Jesus is, God the Father exalted his Son. And we explored verse 9 last week. What is the consequence of that exaltation in humanity? That's what verse 10 is unpacking. It's unpacking the result of Christ's exaltation, the consequence. And the consequence, the result is, so that, with the result that, verse 10, at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the result. That's the result of Christ's exaltation by the Father. Now, to understand this better, we have to understand the Old Testament passage that Paul is alluding to here. It is not explicit in this passage, but Paul is referencing and applying to Jesus a passage, a verse found in Isaiah 45. Let's go ahead and turn there to Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45, verse 23. What Paul is doing is he's taking this passage from Isaiah and he's applying it to Jesus. So in order to understand what Paul is saying about Jesus in Philippians 2, we need to understand what Isaiah says in Isaiah 45, verse 23. Isaiah 45, verse 23. But by myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. What God is saying here is that this word that he's about to say is going to happen. It is true. God knows the future and has determined the future. So he knows that this will take place. So what is it that will take place? Quote, To me, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall swear allegiance. Paul takes this passage... Every knee bowing, every tongue swearing allegiance, and applies it to Jesus. Now in this context, the author of Isaiah is not applying it to Jesus. Who is, the author of, who, is, who is the author applying it to? Well, the key here is understanding this me at the end of verse 23. To me, every knee shall bow. Now who is this me? Go to verse 18, Isaiah 45:18. This is where the Lord's monologue begins. For thus says the Lord. So the me in 23 is the Lord in verse 18. Now, if you're looking at your Bibles, you're going to notice that the word Lord is capitalized. That is very important. That is not an unimportant fact what Lord here is indicating is it's indicating the English translation is indicating that the Hebrew name for God is being used here. Now if you remember in Exodus 3 God revealed himself the God of Israel revealed himself to Moses and God told Moses to go back to Egypt and to go to Pharaoh and to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. And what God what Moses says to what Moses says to God is, God, who should I tell them who's sending me? What is your name? God responds with this word, Lord. Anytime you see in the Old Testament, Lord capitalized, it's referring to God's name. And God's name is often pronounced as Yahweh. God's name is Yahweh. Now, there's a difference between saying the Lord's name, and saying, God. God is a title. God is a title. God is not a name. God is a title. And actually, the Bible teaches that there are many gods. Now, there is only one true God, but there are many gods. There are many entities and beings that can bear this name, God. God. Now what the Old Testament is very strict about is that there is only one Yahweh. There is only one capital Lord. So God is a title, God can be a title, but Yahweh is a name. There can be many gods, but there is only one Yahweh. There is only one capital Lord. And we see that in this passage verse 18 we're going to explore this passage a bit more to see what this Yahweh is like for thus says the Lord who created the heavens he is God who formed the earth and made it so this Yahweh is the creator of all reality the question of where did all this come from it came from the Lord capitalized It came from Yahweh that is his name Right at the end of verse 18 I am the Lord and there is no other There is no other Yahweh There is only one God One true God Verse 19 at the end I the Lord speak the truth I declare what is right God the true God Yahweh speaks the truth always That's why we can trust the Bible Is because the Bible is the word of God And therefore true God only speaks truth Look at the end of verse 21. Was it not I the Lord? And there is no other God beside me. A righteous God and a Savior, there is none beside me. Yahweh has no rivalry. There is no other God who compares with the Creator of the universe. And His name is Yahweh. His name is the Lord. And then verse 22 He is the Savior of all mankind. Turn to me, verse 22, and be saved. All the ends of the earth. That's us. That's Gentiles. Verse 22 teaches that if Gentiles want to be saved, they must turn to Israel's God. For I am God, and there is no other. And then bringing all of that to a conclusion, verse 23, By myself I have sworn, by myself I, Yahweh, have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness. A word that will prove true. And what does Yahweh say? Yahweh says to me... To Yahweh... Every knee shall bow... And every tongue... Shall swear allegiance. Now with that... With that background in the back of our minds... Let's turn back to Philippians 2. When we understand the passage that Paul is quoting... And when we understand what Paul is saying of Jesus... We get a truly radical idea. And that radical idea is this Yahweh is a name that is shared. Yahweh is a shared identity. And Jesus Christ is Yahweh. Jesus Christ, the man who lived, who was born in Bethlehem who lived in Israel and who died on a Roman cross, what Paul is saying is that person is Yahweh. That is the God of Israel. And now we have further specification that it is not to a general notion of Yahweh to whom all allegiance will be given, but it is to Jesus Christ, the God-man, Yahweh incarnate, Dying on a Roman cross and rising from the dead. That is to whom universal allegiance will be given. And Paul has this statement. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, what Paul is saying here is that regardless of where people are, whether they are in heaven, whether they are on the earth, or whether they are in the earth, under the earth, in the place of the dead, all people, all people will recognize. Christians and non-Christians will recognize that Jesus is the God of Israel. That Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh. And in verse 11, they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Lord here that they will confess is the Lord found in Isaiah 45. And that Lord is Yahweh. One day all peoples the Bible is teaching the Bible is teaching that everybody will one day bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Yahweh that's the result that's the result of the Christ's exaltation Christ's exaltation has massive significance bears massive significance for this world and one day when Jesus descends as we sung And it is well with my soul. One day all people will recognize and confess that truth. That is the result of Christ's exaltation. Now for our second point. Diving into Philippians 11, write this. First point was the result. Second point is the purpose of Christ's exaltation. What's it all about, pastor? Why go through all of this? What is Paul trying to show us ultimately that will happen? In the Christian life, in the Bible, there is one purpose that governs all of Scripture. From beginning to end, there is one purpose for all that happens. And that purpose is that God would be glorified. That is the main purpose for why you exist, for why you might have children. For why you work your job, for why the sun rises, for why it snows, and ultimately for why Jesus was exalted, is to glorify God, to glorify God the Father. At the end of verse 11, I'm getting this from the end of verse 11, you have this prepositional phrase, do you see that? It begins with to, to the glory of God the Father. What Paul is saying here is that the knees bowing and the tongues confessing is ultimately for the purpose of God the Father receiving the glory. One day Jesus will be acknowledged as Lord and yet the purpose of that is for the glory not of Jesus but of the Father. And what we have here is some inner workings of the Trinity that are difficult to pull out. And just to complete this discussion of the Trinity, if you look in Philippians 1.19. Philippians 1.19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So the Bible teaches that there's a Father who is Yahweh. There is a son who is Yahweh, and then there is a spirit of Yahweh, who is the Holy Spirit. That's the teaching of the Trinity. That is a central confession that we must hold on to as Christians. And so in Philippians, you get that whole picture. You get that whole picture. And the Trinity really is everywhere. It's everywhere in Scripture. If you know where to look it, where to find it. It is everywhere. And what ultimately happens at the end of time is that by the Spirit's power, the Spirit will apply to all people the truthfulness of the gospel. And they will bow and they will confess that Jesus is Lord. And Jesus will be exalted as the heavenly Lord of all reality. And at the end of time, Jesus will give all glory to the Father. That's the inner working. And this all plays into Jesus is not a selfish being. Look in Philippians 2 verse 6 we've covered this passage who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped another way to understand that is though he was Yahweh he did not count equality with God the Father a thing to be pursued what Paul is teaching here is that the son is a selfless being his will is not to do his own but the will of the Father and when the Father exalts Jesus at the end of time to be the Lord of heaven and earth, where all people recognize him, Jesus will give the glory back to the Father, and the Father will receive all praise. To further explore this idea, turn with me to first Corinthians fifteen. Verse twenty-eight. First Corinthians fifteen twenty eight. Paul states in another way in this passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 28, what what he says in Philippians 2. This is talking about the end of time, verse 28, when all people recognize that Jesus is Lord, when all things are subjected to him, to Jesus, this is, then the Son, Jesus himself, will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that's a mouthful right there what Paul is saying here is that when Christ is exalted at the end of time he will subject himself to the father who subjected all things to him so there's an exaltation Jesus is exalted but then he gives the glory to the father and the purpose of all of this look at the end of verse 28 that God may be all in all God there is God the father that God the Father may be exalted above all. We believe as Christians that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all God. But they all have different roles to play in salvation. And what Paul is indicating here is one of those differences. At the end of time, the Father will be exalted. The Father will receive the glory for His plan of salvation. And Jesus will serve that end. Jesus will lay down His all of His glory for the Father. Now I'm bringing this sermon to a conclusion. As I've said, we've been dealing with lots of doctrine. Lots of doctrine. But my, one of my main purposes in life, the one thing, the one, mis- the one point of misinformation that I want to dispel you of is that theology is not practical. It is eminently practical for your life. Going back to Philippians... Paul does not give us a commandment here. We have not gotten a commandment. Paul has not given us a commandment for five or six verses. The last commandment that we, that we ran into in Philippians was in 2.5. Have this mind among yourselves. Paul is telling us there to think a certain way. But in verses 6 all the way through 11, there's no commandment. We're not told to do anything explicitly. But there is application here there is application with this idea that one day all people will bow and recognize that Jesus is Lord and the application is this and I'll conclude with this thought this is going to happen I would bet my entire life on it I am betting my entire life on it I would die for this belief we cannot see it now, but we know that Jesus has risen from the dead. And we know that just as he promised, he fulfilled his promises to be the Messiah, to die once. We know that he will come again. We know that. This is going to happen. And in preparation for this great event, what we need to do in this preparation for this time, when all people will bow down and worship Jesus, whether willingly or unwillingly. In preparation for this, we need to practice this right now. What I'm saying is literally this week, sometime this week, what you need to do, the way I want you to respond to this message is to practice for this day. And the way I want you to practice is I want you to go to your home, to a quiet room, And I want you to bow before God. I want you to do this right now. And I want you to say to God the Father that Jesus is Lord and that all that Scripture says about Jesus, all that Scripture says about Himself is true. When we confess, what we do is we agree with God When we confess to God, we're not telling him anything he doesn't know, but rather we're agreeing with him. I want you to agree this week on your knees before God when no one's around. I want you to agree with God that Jesus is Lord, and that by consequence, you are not. And this application is both for the Christian and the non Christian. In the Christian life, the Christian life is a battle. It is a daily battle. So many mornings I wake up and there's no inclination to to do godly things. But rather there's the presence of temptation. And my battle is your battle as well. I'm not unique here. We all have this Christian battle. And to renew ourselves in the battle, we have to constantly humble ourselves before God. Pride is a sin that will keep you away from God, dear Christian. If you're proud, God will be far from you. And so to renew ourselves in the battle, what we must do is occasionally, we constantly pray. We constantly must pray. We must constantly be confessing in our hearts that we need the Lord's grace. But occasionally what we need to do is we need to physically bow ourselves before God. And the posture is not magical. This will not magically create realities in your life But it's a sign of our our submission to God And that as you submit yourself to God Physically, in your posture As you prepare for this great day You say to God the Father Jesus is true Jesus is Yahweh And I desperately need Him I desperately need His renewing grace I desperately need Him right now this week, this day, this hour. That's my encouragement to you, Christian, that you renew yourself in the battle today, quietly, privately, not publicly. Don't let anyone see you. Do this in private and renew yourself in the grace of God by bowing before Him and telling the Father that Jesus is Lord. And also for the non-Christian, if you are not a Christian this morning, If you reject the things of God what keeps you from God is your pride When I was in Dallas I had a good friend who I would talk to about the Lord regularly And I would just say to him if uh, I've shared this before if you're so open-minded So his criticism of me would be I'm closed-minded And so I would return the favor and I would say if you're so open-minded Why don't you just pray? Why don't you just humble yourself before God and say, God, if you're real, I ask that you would show yourself towards me. If you're real, I ask for forgiveness of my sins. He wouldn't do it. And the problem is pride. The problem is that in our sinful nature, we don't want to bow to anybody, we want to control our own lives. And we want mastery over our lives. And when we hear of Jesus' lordship, we reject that. We hate that in our sin. So non-Christian, what you must do, if you want to find peace with God, you have to humble yourself. And a very helpful way to do this is to physically bow before God. God is everywhere. If you go in your room, God is there. And if you bow down, he is there. He knows what you're doing. And non-Christian, what you need to do is you need to say to the Father that Jesus is true and that you are not and that your whole life you've been living for yourself. But now, due to His grace and His mercy, you know that you don't want to live that way anymore. If you want to be a Christian, bow before God. My own testimony is bound up in this. Whenever I was 18, I was at a youth event in Tallahassee, Florida and I went back to the house I was staying at and I felt convicted and I got on my knees I didn't say that Jesus you are Lord, but I said, God, I know that my life is not right and I need you to change it and that happened on my knees, physically on my knees non-Christian, do that Today, for you desperately need the Lord. And also, Christian, you must do that as well. I challenge the whole church and those listening on live feed to please do this. Please humble yourself before the Lord and tell the Father, agree with the Father that His Son is King. Pray with me.